Welcome to Awards Radar, the podcast, a weekly discussion of the awards races, Hollywood news, and the films you should have on your radar. Here's your host, Joey Magidson. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Awards Radar podcast, which we will actually release and not take a tax write-off on. This is a good hint as to what day we're recording this episode. Oh, too soon. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, 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 you know what? We'll get into that right off the bat. Um, my, I'm here. I'm Joey. Miles, you're here. I am here. This is my uh, first episode recording from uh, my new office in my new house. Woo. So if you hear what's, slightly different audio quality, that's why. Yeah. What's the setup? What's the what's the film related uh, paraphernalia? Oh, or is it just oh, I haven't started decorating yet. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> we're just put, oh. we're still putting furniture and clothes away. No, but I got a nice yeah, yeah. Uh, corner desk going on and eventually there's going to be movie posters. I'm leaving one wall blank for uh, green screen stuff. It's going to be like a little mini studio. Nice. Makes sense. I mean, I, that's the other thing I was about to say. If you have a dedicated space like that, I mean, you could do some video interviews periodically. Just, you know, throwing that out there. Um, no, they're decorating a, a like film related workspace is, is an interesting thing. I didn't, I never really had a office per se when I was uh, with my ex and we were decorating the, the lake house that she had gotten, there was a like kind of like corner that was mine that became where the desk was. But, um, it was more just like in the area of putting stuff and, and, uh, it became clear, clear, uh, clear very quickly that movie posters were going to be a hard sell. Aside from like ones that have my quote on them, I can I can win that argument. Or at least I could at the time. Um, so it was like uh, little. Um, not, I don't I don't know what brand they would be, but like uh, I went with Batmobiles for a little bit, just like kind of like hanging around like different era Batmobiles. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm like the foremost Batman guy, but it was something that I that was like, oh, here's a little bit of me right here, or I had a couple of random Funko Pops, which I. Uh, I enjoy those and, and I keep and I had them back here at home, but um, I'm always a little disappointed in their film related ones. You know, they, they never they never have the one that you're just like, I need that one. It's very rare, at least. Well, you got to kind of go hunting for some of them. I've always been a fan. I don't have that many, but I have enough that like they would warrant their own shelf on something. Sure. I uh, my first one was handful of years ago i got it at a, at a like a dave and busters you know i had to redeem my my things for something sure sure yeah and it was it was a deadpool one i was like sure why not cool and then i because i was only kind of like half aware of them and i think in the years since um i have a rick from rick and morty i don't think i have a morty though um i have a couple of bonds just because that's that was an interest that was kind of a cool like collection thing I know I got like a like a Bond car for my dad for one for Father's Day or his birthday one year, and I think I have a Connery and a Craig. I don't I don't need a Roger Moore. Maybe I do have one. Though. I don't know. I think I got him like most errors. And then I have um, at least one or two Kevin Smiths. I know that shocks you, but uh, what? Yeah, right. Um, and then trying to think if I have any interesting newer ones. Oh, I have. Um, my most movie-ish one that I guess people who listen to this would care about the most is I have a, a Mia and Sebastian from La La Land. It was like a duo. That was oh. also probably the only like kind of expensive one I got. I think it might have been like $40 or something like that. Okay. As opposed to like the 10 they normally – I was like, ah, I'm going to pull it off. I, I just – I kind of want it. 
I think it's going for like several hundred dollars right now. Like it's it's become like a limit. I guess they do like limited runs of these things. So I don't they're not like Beanie Babies. They're never going to be worth money. But I think some of them kind of like Disney style go into the vault. So I have um I have a random like uh, Mets one or two. You know, sometimes like at the baseball game, they'll do a limited run with Funko. Sure. Um, I have a rock and sock connection from wrestling because I wanted a, a McFoley one from as you guys recall, uh, last year slash early this year when my uh, every so often wrestling kit came in. And I actually, by the time this recording goes up, will have my newest one. Can you guess what it is? Um, is it something sort of recently relevant? Sort of. I don't know. Is, is it like someone from Thor or something like that? No, it's Ted Lasso. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I, I, I kind of like the idea of, you know, in my uh, in my downer moments, I can have I can have Coach Lasso in my room to, to pick me up. There you go. Um, yeah. So he should be arriving shortly with uh, hopefully biscuits. Oh, even but better. we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I always hope I, I'm surprised they never have like a jigsaw or um, I think they will. Every uh, Billy, they they no. Well, I know they have a Billy one because I have that one. Mm, then it must be a limited edition that they don't have on the website anymore. Maybe. Well, because I went through because we actually have some interesting overlap in our collections because I have a Rick and Morty one, but I don't have Rick. I have Gearhead because nice. my, my brother got that for a birthday and he didn't know which characters I liked. Um, I've got a Ryan Gosling one, but it's um, his character from Blade Runner. Yeah. Oh, this is, I see what it is. It's the yeah. No, I, I looked at that one. I almost bought that one. I was like, I like Gosling, but I I like Blade Runner, but I don't love it. Oh, it's like a freestanding Billy. I feel like that's. That's yeah, fine. it's not quite on the tricycle, but it's the same. They've all got to fit the same, more or less. Also, it, it's apparently going on Amazon for 140 bucks. So good on you. Wow. Yeah, I got it at the right time. And that like because yeah. we have a couple that we got either as gifts or like you know um, out of. Wait, I could have got, got you one for your. I could have got you one of those for your wedding. Well, Jesus. we had the the Suicide Squad ones on uh, the registry, but I True. think some yeah. of them got uh, lapped up. We got a few of those. Uh, I, they probably did, and or my ex was like, "You're you're a cheapskate if you do that." I I, I like your gift better. Um, I, I figured. But um, we also have random stuff like we have the Infinity War version of Thor. We have the mm. uh, Fishman from The Shape of Water. We have Jack Black from Welcome to uh, the Jungle. Uh, yeah. Just like odds and ends like that. But it's I don't know. What's it's fun thing? to see them all together, like Chewbacca yeah, yeah. and stuff. Totally. I mean, I feel like some of the, the movies that I gravitate towards recently just don't lend themselves to them. Sure. You know, like, oh, Tom Cruise and Top Gun as a pop. It's just him with a with a with like know, the flight suit or whatever. Yeah. I, it, I mean, I'm sure they're going to do it if they haven't already. But it, it doesn't like thrill me in the same way. I did want a, a an Ecto-1 or a uh, DeLorean, but I think they only have the Ecto-1 is like a pretty new one. I think it has like. I think it might be from the newest movie, and I was like, eh, "Okay," and not not as not as wild about that because the prior one I think was from the uh, the Paul Feig re- uh, reboot, right? Which again, I was like, "It looks fine," but it's just I, I kind of want. They had an OG one that I, I think Winston might have been in or something, but it, it was insanely expensive. That must have been like early on in their run before they kind of moved away from that stuff. They don't do a ton of like vehicles anymore. Fair enough. I know yeah, the only so. one that I've like every now and then I'll like see is like that's the one that I would like go out of my way to get as opposed to just like sort of build up a collection otherwise is uh, they've got like a big version of like the reclining Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park. And there's something yeah, very funny that. about that one for me. 
Oh yeah, no, there's there's several of them that like if I had a a full office in a house that I might have been like, screw it, I want it. Yeah. Just because I want that kind of stuff in, in the room. I want that that sort of vibe. So we will see. But hey, those are things that we can have if we wanted them. Let's talk about something we can have, which is a I guess fine Batgirl movie. Listen, I'm not gonna pretend that like that was the movie that I was dying to see whenever it was going to no, come no. out. It had some good things. Like, I liked that Brendan Fraser was going to be the villain. I liked that Michael Keaton sure. and J.K. Simmons were going to be in it. I loved Leslie Grace in um, uh, in The Heights, in, so I'm sure Heights, she would be yeah. a good Batgirl. But, like, regardless of any of that, like, it's fucked up that a movie can be, like, 90 to 95% finished and then they'll just decide not to release it as a tax write-off. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like... Just dump it on HBO Max and be done with it. Why are we? Why are we just shelving it? That that just seems. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty fired up about this. I'm not gonna lie. I'm like I read that and was like, that's fucked up, and it sets such a bad precedent that, and it's, especially when like the mid budget movie is kind of like needing every lifeline it can get. This is like very. This is a very bad precedent. I think that's being set here. It's a very lazy recalibration, also. So so anyone yeah. who doesn't know what's going on. Um, Batgirl was initially announced three years ago, something like that. A couple years take, ago. Well, back in the day, yeah. Joss Whedon was going to write and direct it, which yeah, yeah. Well, let's, bullet dodge. Let's leave that one aside. Um, but 2020, 2021, let's say is like the era of this incarnation of the movie. They, they come upon their directors. It's the, it's the bad boys for life guys, right? They, they did bad boys for life and they just did, um, several episodes of Miss Marvel. And they had something else prior to that that got them the bad boys job. Sure, that was yeah. like seen as quality because bad boys, you know, whatever. It is what it is. Um, yeah, script was apparently well liked enough. Um, went out to I believe the final group was um, Leslie Grace who got the job, and Zoe Deutsch from Not Okay that we talked about last week. Um, Isabella Merced I think was mentioned. Haley Lou Richardson I think turned it down, or at least didn't do the final audition. So like they were. They were looking at this in the right. They they were looking at interesting people. Oh, the script was Christina Hudson, yeah, Bumblebee fame, yeah, yeah, and, and I'm sure several on, other things. I want to say she worked on like Birds of Prey or something like that. Yes, I think that that yeah. So like solid, you know, nothing to be not into there. Um, film shoots, apparently. <laughs> I guess we'll never know. Well, no, there were set photos. There's a lot of stuff yeah, that yeah. went around. So the um. I think it's last year at some point they start talking about, well, maybe we're going to we're going to put it in theaters since we're not we're not releasing everything simultaneously anymore. So maybe we don't need to just gin up the HBO Max numbers, either because the numbers are doing all right or because they just want to make money. My understanding was that it uh, an early test screening went really well and that gave them a bit more confidence in it. Um, So that, yeah, totally, totally possible. I know they were recently again test screening. Yeah. Prior to the current news, which is so the as happens at these places a lot, the um, leadership changes. Part of that is um, Warner Brothers is now a subsidiary of essentially the Discovery Channel. Warner Brothers Discovery is the giant company that owns Warner Brothers Discovery, True TV. I think all the every all these like, you know, there's probably 12, 13 things that are within this overlapping oh, yeah. thing. Well, I'd and, like like I don't know about you, but like. I don't know what's going on with Discovery these days, but surely you would think that that would go the other way around, no? Yeah, you would think. Um, 
I mean, I can't say I watch a ton of Discovery. I, I mean, I watched. Um, but is there enough him- going on with Discovery that they have the money to buy Warner Brothers, the home of like DC and Harry Potter? Shark Week must be uh, really profitable. I guess, but like what? I mean, I know AT and T owns all of them, but still, yeah, it's AT and T. It's just I, I, I guess. I mean, it probably comes back to well, as we'll talk about in a minute, taxes. You know, there's probably something yeah. that makes Discovery wildly. Pro- I mean, they don't pay anyone. They don't. You don't pay the animals. So these these are probably fairly cheap shows. I bet you there's also some kind of um, tax incentive with educational programming. With anything that involves like, oh, we're going to go do a dive, you know, to go look at the Titanic or whatever their thing is they're doing. If they have to design a new, you know, submarine camera or something, I'm sure there's money in that. You know, there's or someone else is paying for it. There's a lot of stuff like that, that I'm sure is going on. Yeah. So new person takes over. You know, someone is put in charge. I forget who the, the person currently in charge uh, is. Dave Valdez, I think is his name. Something like something that. Like that. So, so new person, we'll just, we don't need names because we're just going to, we don't want to dox them as much as I don't think I'm fans of these people. Um, initially says something pretty interesting, which is they want to focus on theatrical, you know, they kind of recalibrate from the day and date, which was always a one-off <coughs> for COVID as I cough, which is a great combination. So, um, all well and good there. But today, as we record on Tuesday, the second, uh, they, it turns out they don't want to spend the money on that. They don't want to just dump it on HBO Max, so instead they're going to set it on fire and watch it burn. Because what you can do is you can declare it a loss, tax-wise. And I, they want not going to get $90 million back or whatever they were going to spend, but they will get some of it back. And now they are in perpetuity no longer out to make a dime off of it. So they can't put it on HBO Max. Or they, they, they can't, can't even sell. let like another streamer take it. Exactly. So like they would have legally to, like, they can't release it in any meaningful way. Yeah, they would have to just. Like they'd have I, to release I, it as like a YouTube video that like can't exactly. be monetized or something like that. Oh, yeah. So it can't, like it can't if there's any be like on TNT. Yeah, exactly. So if there's any brave soul out there who maybe has access to some things. It seems like a leak in this case might be almost a ethical as opposed to the normal case i mean i i wouldn't be super shocked if the end result is just one day it leaks and warner brothers is like whatever congrats you have a movie um i mean also the scoob sequel but i think we're all like i i literally didn't know that was going to be a thing until it was canceled i mean listen i feel bad for the animators who who no that's fucked up though it's the same principle it's so fucked up and apparently that one was almost finished as well and from all i've heard like the animators and the people who worked on that were really happy with it so like regardless if it's something i would ever want to see it's fucked up that they can do that and yeah i mean scoop was acceptable like it it wasn't as bad as as you 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 know nobody needs a new scooby-doo movie but it was all right um, it was, I, I never you know saw what it, it. I don't know. <laughs> so you know what it was? It was, it was totally average except for the beginning. And I think the end, because there was, it hit on like, a, cause it was like an origin story of how Scooby-Doo and Shaggy got together. Yeah. And that was actually really touching. Like, I believe it was like a hungry dog. Like I, you know, easy way to my heart, you know, Scoob is like a, like a, like a stray kind of thing. You won me. And the, I think they, and towards the end they have, um, Muttley in it, you know, the, like the, the evil dog of the Hanna-Barbera universe. Um, and his thing is he, his, I forget, is it, I don't know who the, the villain is. Oh, I'm, it's, I'm is it, it. Um, Dick Dastardly or something like that? It might be, yeah, yeah, it's his dog. And he's in, I believe in this movie, he's in like an alternate dimension or something, like has, has basically they've been separated. 
So a lot of this is to like be reunited. I was like, oh, that's touching. Like I love when a villain has like in the way that like uh, what's the God Butcher, you know, like it helps that Thor's villain is doing things kind of for love. Uh, give me that over, you know, I want to make the giant garbage thing in the sky every every time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this this is this is very insulting to the creative people. This is doesn't even get into the the just huge like creative decisions that now have to be made because this movie was meant to take place after Flash when you've reinstated Michael Keaton as Batman and moved on from from Affleck, right? So he would be in the same world as the current Commissioner Gordon, which figure that out however that was supposed to happen. Well, so, whether that's still going to happen because we still got to see what they're going to do with that fucking Flash movie. Well, I mean, either this is their precedent. I want there's two ways of thinking. One, this is the way they're going to have an excuse to do the same thing the Flash. If they uh, if things continue along this route of of Ezra Miller being uh, troubling at best Um, or they're going to do major reshoots and they're going to move away from all of that, which can you imagine if after all of that, they just I don't want to say dumb down, but like take away the, the single part of the movie that everyone is interested in, which is like, oh, Affleck. And Keaton and and whatever cameos we don't know about, all these like, you know, mixing universes things and it just becomes like a flash movie. Sure, that's what we wanted to see. That's why you went through nine directors. No, it's just outrageous. Well, and it's like it's been very obvious that they've been hinging all their bets on this flash movie to kind of rewrite re rewrite the universe and sort of yes. put things back on track. And now the fact that like it's a miracle they even finished it. And now that their lead actor is basically like an international menace to society, who's like, True. last I heard, on the run from the police, basically. As, and le- they can't catch a break with that. I almost wonder, now that you mention it, and this is just completely rampant speculation on my part, but it almost makes me wonder if they're like dumping Batgirl so that they can reallocate those resources to fixing Flash. Maybe. I don't think they're ever going to recast because no, I think it's, it's you can't you can't it's get one everyone thing to back. do it with somebody who's in fifteen minutes of a movie like you know your Christopher Plummer your Tignataro situation. It's another thing entirely when you're talking about the lead actor who, based on the trailer, is playing multiple versions of himself throughout the movie. Like the, yeah, if the whole if thing is, is for it to be a continuity salvaging experiment, starting off with a different actor, no matter how sort of terrible the actor has turned out to be. It, it just doesn't accomplish that. And then oh, yeah. at even, that even point, if, you're just going for the Batman stuff. Yeah, yeah. Even if there are multiple flashes or, or actors playing Flash, you know, they're, they're not go- – the prime one is the Ezra Miller, Barry Allen. Like that is – it's clear that that is their plan. Whether you see – was it Grant Gustin as the TV Flash, right? Yeah. Um, I believe Ezra Miller showed up on the show, right? Well, yeah, there's like one of their big crossovers and he shows up for like one scene. I've seen the clip. So I imagine whatever. Yeah, I imagine the the inverse will be there, even if it's just like a a flash on the screen, no pun intended. So beyond like whoever else they they get in. Um, I mean, Adam Brody wouldn't work anymore because he's in uh, Shazam. But that would be kind of funny because he was initially going to be Flash in the, the old Justice League movie that never happened. Um, so whatever their planning is, is wild, which even doubles back on itself because apparently the new, um, president, David, whatever his name is, is, um, very keen to make Superman the focus of the, of the DC universe now. Um, since, you know, they're going to, Batman is kind of its own 
separate thing to some degree. And initially we heard like Batgirl was going to be the big focus. Well, what a difference a day makes. Apparently they're big on Superman again or Supergirl. Though who knows what's going to happen with that now. Um, which makes it even more wild that they didn't do anything with Superman at Comic-Con. Well, maybe they're saving it for DC fandom. Or maybe they're still ironing out the details. Well, I mean, if you're Henry Cavill and you haven't signed anything right now, you're you're saying, hang on. Hang on a second, guys. Um, I'm going to need three private islands, not two. And I'm going to need uh, Otisville. Find me a real Otisville. <laughs> Don't care how you do it. Like, he's got them by the, the short and curlies, as it were. Especially if this is their plan. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, listen, I'd like for him to come back and do something as Superman. I always felt like he was good casting, but he never had a part in any of the movies that really lived up to his potential. Um, Yeah, he was... He was done in by the writing in all three cases, I would say. Yeah, he was was certainly fine for the, the, like, conflicted god that Zack Snyder imagined him as. But, you know, he he also showed a potential for, for... the Superman that I think people want, which is it doesn't need to be Christopher Reeve. It doesn't need to be a Boy Scout per se, but but he can kind be of fun way. and he can be you yeah. know, entertaining without being a constant. I mean, that's where does world even deserve me to be Superman? It's like you are Superman. Yeah, no, I, Get the fuck over yourself. Exactly. Like you, you were a teenager already. You're no longer you're in your 20s or 30s. You should be over this by now. But uh, like the scene where, where they're like, are, are, is he even an American? It's like, I'm from Kansas, dude. Like. That's that was that was kind of the the vibe that I think you you want from a Superman, which is I I I'm trying to represent the best of us, whether I'm doing a good job or not. Like that's the goal, and I think he did a, a solid job of it. But yeah, he was caught up in his origin story. Like I think Man of Steel is fine. It's just yeah, it is. But know, it, it has just that. the way it's structured, it doesn't exactly lend itself to him being able to do much acting. He, and he, <laughs> no, he's a great presence, and he's a great sort of like. You know, he's good on screen and he has that certain build that you want, but like because it sort of jumps around in time and because he's sort of quiet and brooding for so much of it, we don't get enough of a chance to really know him. And then he and and then then he famously has like, you know, less than 40 lines in Batman v Superman and he's dead for most of Justice League. So there's just we haven't gotten enough of him to really get to know him yet, even though he's been in three to four movies. (coughs) <coughs> sorry he winds up in a batman movie essentially in his own sequel yeah which is i mean if you watch the and and i'm not saying do it but if you watch the ultimate cut you know the the 72 hour version of the movie or whatever the one that's not better it, it's just longer yes exactly it's 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 closer to a 50 50 split i feel like but not in any way that's <clears throat> notably better i think it's more of a complete vision i think that's the thing that i've taken from Zack Snyder recently is, you know, I, I, I mean, Justice League is better because it's coherent at least, but you know, you need, if you're, if you start picking away at somebody's like kind of singular vision, good or bad, you wind up with a, with a nothing burger. And I mean, I think that kind of sums up the DC like EU, I guess at the moment now, like they're just slowly picking at every little bit of previous plans and you're going to end up with nothing like which is funny because so much of this all goes back to we want to be marvel right and this is not pro marvel this is not necessarily anti dc but the whole reason they got into superheroes in the way that they did was as a response to marvel and 
they've never once taken the lesson of Marvel being like, oh, well, we built, we have building blocks <laughs> and we, we build up to something. They rushed to their Justice League thing. They wanted to sort of take their time now and they've immediately turned around. Like wh- this new wave of post like Snyder movies, how many have come out? There's been a solid handful of them, but that's the thing. You're right. Is Some that, of them don't tie in yet. Well, a lot of them, like, I think their most successful ones have been, like, The Batman and Joker, which I'm not exactly. a big fan of Joker, but those two movies are set in completely their own continuities, and, like, they are the ones that I think are most universally beloved. Um, and stuff like Birds of Prey, Shazam, uh, Aquaman, Wonder Woman 84, yeah, they, it all connects. Wink. But it, it yeah. just, but just by virtue of having some of the same actors, like yeah, they don't, they don't have any other movie spots. No, there's no like they were in a real big hurry to get to Justice League, and then they fell on their face, and now it's just like here are a bunch of individual stories. Some of them are kind of connected, but not in any meaningful way. And I think again, Flash was viewed as sort of their their way of resetting that. But honestly, at this point, like. The best DC stuff, even The Suicide Squad, which is technically related to everything else, works as a standalone movie. And like the best ones have been the ones that just forge their own identities rather than trying to be anything like even Aquaman, which stems from all that, has a certain identity to it. And same with the first Wonder Woman. Like it's easy enough to sort of create good movies but the problem is they're they don't have any bigger game plan and they feel like they need one because that's how marvel has like you know six movies and seven tv shows in two years they they yeah they don't have a plan and or when they do they change it and that's well that's uh, the other thing too not sustainable since the start of the dceu leadership has changed like anywhere from three to five times oh yeah each current guy any set of leadership Why wow, yeah. he's like a uh, already like several degrees away from it. I yeah, think he was replaced by someone who was replaced by the person who this guy exactly. Just replaced, if I remember, and the previous people were all about boosting HBO Max, which is why we got the day and date well, thing one last of the, year. One of the people just yeah, as we saw a couple weeks ago in the um, the Snyder verse type uh, article about like the the toxic fandom at all that we kind of knew existed. Like one of those leaders just kind of was like, sure, whatever. Um, and, you know, you never know how much of that is former people leaking on current and current leaking on former. So, you you know, again, assume 50 percent of it is true at best. But if so, they essentially knew what was going on with that and was like, all right, they're harassing people with company, whatever. Who cares? Oh, let's just get oh, let's just give him whatever he wants at this point. And it's just yeah, there's no vision. There's no theory on what they're doing. I mean, this is this is what you assume is the worst case scenario with like, oh, you know, they're owned by AT&T. Like, oh, the, the, the phone company owns this, this uh, film studio. This is what I think people assume happens with some of these things. And most of the time they just put someone in there who knows what they're doing. And then it, you never, you never fully know. Like you don't often, you're not often reminded of who owns what. And like, they're not putting AT&T commercials in all their movies per se, but you do feel like the people making these decisions are not quite sure what they're doing in relation to movies. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a shame. Yeah. I mean, you know, you always hope for the best. And I've heard the idea floated a few times now that like more people are talking about Batgirl today than have talked about it in the last year. So maybe Which this is, is <laughs> like a cynical <laughs> attempt to like 
sort of manufacture a pseudo release the Snyder cuts style thing. And then they'll dramatically be like, okay, because the fans demanded it, here you go. This movie that before then they were just going to drop out anyway. I don't know if that's the case. I would like for it to be, if only so that all the work that was put into it isn't gone to waste. Sure, but, but like, what, a, but what a terrible precedent to set. So every time we want precedent, to publicity, very cynical. But that I, yeah. at the same time, I don't know that I put it past them. No, no. I, I mean, they either way they seem inept. So maybe it is true because, like, in that sense, they're essentially saying. Every time we have to drum up publicity, we want you to think we're inept and stupid, and and like, we care about exactly you. like it's a it's a bad look no matter which way you slice it. Yeah, so we'll we'll see. Um, let's let's go a little more positive for the moment. So we have a couple of questions. Um, one of them is from Kfly two hundred eight, who says, "With Prey and Bullet Train coming out, we'll talk about those in a moment." I think I mentioned Prey last week, so I'll just quickly say now, um, it's very good. It's it's just a lean, mean Predator, predator prequel. Uh, we'll talk more about it, I guess, next week because you'll have seen it by then, right? It comes on Hulu this week. Yeah, I'm definitely going to see it next weekend. Yeah, my review should be up probably, by the time Probably you guys same hear with this. Bullet Train, I'm sure. <clears throat> yeah, so we'll talk more about both. Uh, just Bullet Train I saw yesterday, so it's a little fresher in my mind. Prey was a week or so ago. Prey is just kind of what you want it to be. It's lean, it's mean, like I said. It's, it's a solid Predator movie. It's an okay dog movie, which I'm always, I'm always pro for. Um, <clears throat> there's a couple of, uh, pretty solid, like, predator kill scenes that are not in the trailer, or at least are not in one that I saw or I just forgot about. Though, when you see it, I do want to talk about, there's one scene where I felt like it was building to something epic. It didn't do that. It did something else that was entertaining. But there's, there's one scene where you're just like, oh, this could be something. Um, not, not a bad thing that it's not. It's just, we'll, we'll talk about it then. Also, I just want to put it in your head. That I feel like the Predator in this movie kind of didn't do anything wrong until a certain point. So just keep that in mind. You know, oftentimes these are, um, the Predator is like overtly hunting humans. Right. Less so this time. So I'm just curious what you think when you watch it. Oh, interesting. Um, and Bullet Train we'll talk about after this question because I'll go a slightly longer on it. Uh, Kayfley says, with those movies come out, what do you think is the Mount Rushmore of action hero names? Their picks are, and uh, I mean, three of the four probably are my picks, so good on you. Uh, Marion Cobretti from Cobra, 100% would be on my Mount Rushmore. Cobra, with your last name being Cobretti, it's phenomenal. <laughs> um, it's like if uh, Bullet Train Brad Pitt's character was like Bull, you know, E, Train. Right. Like, yeah, love those. Uh, Snake Plissken from Escape from New York. Definitely. Snake. Definitely. Really should be on there. Um, the only one I wouldn't have, and it's not a bad name, Axel Foley from Beverly Hills Cop. Just a cool name. It's a cool but name, but like I feel like there's there's something we can find that are more iconic. Yeah, Axel Foley could be a porn star as much as he could be an action hero. Yeah. It's just a cool name. It's just a guy who, like, gets shit done. And uh, Beatrix Kiddo, which I, I, I love because there's just – there's not a ton of, like, kick-ass women names. You know, like, I – do you remember what her name is in Atomic Blonde? Um, Lorraine something – Sure, that sounds like actually. An I think I think I have her Funko as well. Ironically, <laughs> nice. But like, that's a good example of of Lorraine. Yeah, I don't know what is her fucking name. I mean, Rip, like Ellen's not a particularly great action hero name, but like Ripley sounds badass. Yeah. Um, but you think of the character more than the name. I think we should look at like best action hero names. Just just thinking of the names. Charlize Theron was Lorraine Broughton. 
Yeah, no, yeah, that, that's the, that's your the, tax attorney. The name does not. I'll give you one that I have that's like a character name that I've always been very fond of. Yeah, and then we can we'll, we'll narrow it down to, to four eventually. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Stacker Pentecost from Pacific Rim. Oh yeah, again could be a porn star, but yeah. But like, what a like like ridiculous anime type. I mean, all the names in that one are ridiculous. I think the main guys like Raleigh Beckett and yeah, yeah. A bunch I of, mean, but something about Stacker, stack, Kent, stacker Pentecost, yeah. like. I don't know that that that's a name that fucks. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, some of them are just in the title, like Dirty Harry. It's, I mean, it's Harry Callan. Yeah, um, I'm gonna leave out some of the more overtly like sci-fi names, <clears throat> not because they're not great, but like they're not names. Like Furiosa, it's not a real name. Nobody, nobody is named Furiosa. Mad Max. Well, but his name Max is like Rockatansky. It's all right. Um, you know what? Um, I mean, Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah, but does but again, that like the... sillier than Kickass. Um, you know what? I'm, I actually just pulled up some Schwarzenegger names. I mean, Schwarzenegger always name? had some good ones. Well, that's the thing. I I feel like you know over the years, I mean, there's I, always I like he's... a John or a Harry or something. I mean, he is a John in the one I'm thinking of, but you know, he um. Oh, is it uh, John Matrix from Commando? John Matrix and Commando. I would consider that one. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, there's definitely some stuff about him that that over the years you're like, oh, that's not great. But he does seem like a like a fairly okay person overall, or at least has become better as a person as he's grown in in age. Which sometimes that's the only thing you can hope for. But like, Mm. because he never set out to be a movie star and kind of got plucked, I feel like he always did kind of want like. Give me a cool name, like give me a cool gun, a cool like he seemed to enjoy it. Well, specifically, a- I think it was like an all-American name because he was always like he's you know he's like oh he's just a suburban dad that has like a thick Austrian accent that nobody oh, yeah, ever nobody, draws attention to. Literally, nobody in the world loves America more than Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, like, it's it's kind of adorable at this point. Like it to the like, which is funny because he's come around to be on like our side of a lot of the issues these days even though he is, by all accounts, still a Republican. But, you know, it's always so framed in, like, I love this country. And, and you know, he'll be, like, petting his, like, pet horse that he has in his home while he's talking about, like, election rights. You know, it's it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah you've you've won, sir. Um, Popeye Doyle is not a bad one. That's not bad. Uh, this one, not technically a um, an action movie, but I would uh, throw out consideration for Inigo Montoya. Yeah. I mean, also not like a full-on action movie, but Dolomite's a damn cool name. Yeah, yeah. Um, I oh, you know what? I got one. Indiana Jones. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it, it's, it's simple, it's, but it's good. Yeah, like like I mean, it's great when Professor Indiana Jones. I mean, I'm sure he's Henry on on like you know the uh, the chalkboard, but still. Um, let's see. I mean, some of these names. John are McClane like, you know, is like an obviously an action icon, but I don't know that the name is anything special. No, Johnny Utah again, porn star more than an action hero. Yeah, um, Chev Chelios. Like they're just that's not first bad. of all they love that's not bad. they love alliteration. They love alliteration or that your name is words. Um, what's Gina Davis? Was she Charlie Baltimore? Mm. Long kiss goodnight. That's pretty good. Um, Ash from the Evil Dead. Well, Ashley Williams. Um, yeah. I mean, some names are just like dumb, but like, like, um, recently it was on Shooter. Not a great movie, but his name is like Bob Lee Swagger. 
And it's yeah, just like, all right. That's not terrible. You know, like Jason Bourne is a cool name. It's not like an all-time name. Yeah. But it's just a cool name. Uh, I mean, Jack Reacher, total porn star name. Yeah. But, I, you know, maybe there's something to be said for the overlap of yeah. porn star name and action I mean, hero name. There is a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at, like, various lists people have come up with. And, you know, a lot of them are, you know, fine. Like, Johnny Rico just sounds like a cliche action hero name, which is kind of the point. Um, this one has Mace Windu. It's a cool name, but yeah, it's just a cool name. Um, really nothing for, I mean, <laughs> Stallone went with another John, John Spartan, Demolition Man. Yeah. I mean, John Shaft. What do we think of James Bond? Too simple. Also, some, so much of it is. It's is a solid name, in, but it's not like. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, the name, the name doesn't do the work. The movie does the work for the name. Yeah. Um, oh, Sylvester Stallone over the top. He's Lincoln Hawk. That's not bad. That's a really good one. Um, Nicholas Cage in Gone in 60 Seconds is Memphis Reigns. <laughs> what is he in Con Air? Uh, Doesn't he have a funky name in that? Uh, what is he in Con Air? In Con Air, he is. I feel like it's also like vaguely like nerdy. Um. Let's let's look this up since I don't. I'm just thinking of like give the bunny back, even though it's not like his name. It's just what I'm thinking of. Uh, Cameron Poe. It's okay. Not terrible. Do we? I no, mean, do, um, do Tarantino characters count? Because like Vincent Vega is a really good one. Maybe. I mean, Xander Cage. Xander Cage. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Judge Dredd's name is Joseph Dredd. That's not bad. Um, not an action movie, but um, John Wayne in True Grit, or if you prefer the less racist, you can go with um, Jeff Bridges, Rooster Cogburn. Rooster Cogburn's pretty good. Jericho Kane, another Schwarzenegger. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> John Rambo. That's John Rambo is kind of a James Bond where like the name yeah. is doing the work. Um, there's another one that I, I, I went by that I really liked on this. Oh, no, I mean, Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. The Again, almost too simple. <laughs> but yeah. True. Um, if we're going to do a four. Okay. I'm, um, I'm going to say... I think Indiana Jones has to be on there. Yeah. Because that just feels iconic to me. And I think we need Beatrix Kiddo because I, I agree. Like the sausage Fest is a bad look. No, I agree. So and, got- and I think that's a really solid one, too. So that's like a worthy inclusion. Yeah. Um, um, do we want one simple one like a John Shaft? Well, I, I would go with the John Matrix then. I think that's my favorite of the Johns. Sure. I think, yeah, I think a John representation is good. And then... One more. I would, for me, I would say it's between Snake Plissken and Stacker Pentecost. Snake Plissken. Okay. I'm cool with that. Honorable mention Stacker Pentecost. So there we go. We gave that probably as much or more time than gave we hope for. Um, Let's flip over to Bullet Train for a minute before we uh, move on to the next question. I, uh, I quite enjoyed it. I was, I don't, I don't fully know what I was expecting. Um, I don't know what everyone else was expecting because that RT score has, uh, Boy, has that wobbled throughout the day. Where is Again, it at now? On Tuesday. Um, I believe. Let's check. Um, it is. It was at 60 a minute ago. It's d- dropped down to 59. It's now rotten. Wow. I believe it was at like 80 this morning or something like that. Um, also, everyone in that theater seemed to be having a good time. Um, the one criticism I'm noticing throughout is that it feels like a Tarantino knockoff. Um, 
I saw more than one person reference like things to do in Denver when you're dead. And I'm like, I never think of that movie while watching this. But um, I kind of think it's more like, what if uh, what if I like the Guy Ritchie movie? That kind of thing. Okay. It's as much a comedy as it is an action film. And I think maybe that's part of the problem is people aren't looking at the comedy as the central aspect. Because um, the, you know, the the um, the action is solid. It's like violent. A lot of the a lot of the violence is meant to be funny as well. Not in a like Bugs Bunny way per se, but in a in a what's I'm trying to think of another like oh you oh someone got stabbed isn't that funny kind of thing you know what I'm you know the uh, yeah well, well again like uh, the Guy Ritchie movies or I've heard comparisons to like a Smoke and Aces or something like that a little bit Smoke and Aces was um, meaner I think fair Smoke and Aces is good Smoke and Aces isn't trying to be funny it's just trying to be like over the top. I mean, this movie is over the top, but um, things that I think set it apart for me were I really liked that. Um, so Brad Pitt's character, uh, codenamed Ladybug, is um, his plan is to he, he like took some time off. He's a, you know, he's, I guess, an assassin. They never fully say he's an assassin, but he works for someone. He's basically doing a job for his former company, the assassin job, like. The guy called out sick. Right. Very, very funny. Just like, oh, so I'm, I'm going to do this job. It's a simple job. Winds up on the bullet train with several other um, assassins, all of whom have a similar but different thing going on. Don't know the other people are there. Eventually figure out the other ones are there. Some end up killing each other. Some are trying to figure out what's going on. It's the thing is just like throughout the movie, he's like self-actualizing. Okay. Like, kinda, he's like th- seeing his therapist. So like. So when one I forget which which there's several fight scenes like he, he also says he's the unluckiest guy in the world like he'll, the the clip they show is he's like I guess doing like a blackmail job like a senator like fucking someone you know take pictures kind of thing and as he's doing that like the bellboy at that hotel just like jumps off the roof and lands on his car um, or you know several times like people just die when he's around so he sort of like is always surprised when someone else turns out to be another assassin and starts like trying to kill him. And, like, they'll punch him and he'll say, come on, like, like hurt people, hurt people. Uh, like, things like that. Like, very, like, self, like, new age, like, ch- almost, I'm trying to think, like, not like a champ, but like something a therapist would tell you, like. Like a mantra, like a sort yeah, of. Like, yeah, like, there's a lot of, like, that, or just, like, you know, I, I'm really looking to, to, like, he keeps saying he wants to just get off the train and go to, like, a, like, a Zen garden. Sure. So, that, there's a lot of fun in that. Um. I do think the non-Brad Pitt highlights are Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry. They play twins or brothers. I'm sure. They play brothers who are supposed to be twins, even though they're clearly not. They're they're a lot of fun, and just some of the like, like when you like when when the individual new character pops up, they're always a lot of fun. Uh, his his fight scene with Zazie Beats that you see like a tiny bit of in the trailer is is probably my favorite. Um, Michael Shannon is absurd, like to the point where I think he's probably bad in the movie. But you just – how are you not going to like him as a essential like, – like a Russian mob boss samurai? Oh, man. I like the sound of that. I've seen like a glimpse of him exactly. in the trailer. And yeah. Totally. Like his accent is – I feel like they told him he was Russian the day he showed up. And he's all right. Do you know how to do one? Nah, but what do you care? Um, but that's kind of like the vibe of the movie. Um, there's two really good cameos. That they do nothing to advance the plot, mind you, but it's very funny who shows up. It's just, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a, 
I believe my my review sums up all. It's a hoot. Okay. Well, that's about like I don't yeah. want anything more from it than that. So that sounds good to me. No, I don't know why people wanted more. I mean, is it possible that like the book was more serious? I don't know. I Well, I know the book is I think is, people is a, are also Japanese maybe book. sick like cuz we kind of saw earlier with Thor uh in the summer. I think people are kind of a certain contingent of people are getting burnt out on movies that are all quips and bad CGI and stuff like that. And yeah. so the individual quality of them ceases to matter because they're just tired of the subgenre. I think that that's not that this is possible. like the same thing as Thor, but I think they they see a lot of overlap of things they are not liking anymore. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, yeah, so I think it's good. I, I'm looking forward to talking a little bit more about it on uh, next week once you've seen it. I was supposed to have seen Barbarian, that horror movie that um, nobody knows what it's about, but the print never arrived at the screening. So I wound up having to kill some time in the city yesterday instead. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't know um, anything about it besides the trailer, but I've heard it's good. Exactly. That's that's about where I was going in. So we'll see. Um, before we talk about the movie we both saw um, and then we'll, we'll sort of end on a little bit of festival talk just because we've we've danced around a little bit just because I think I get anxiety anytime I think about what I'm going to have to do or what I've decided I'm doing. But uh, Ryan McDermott's film Hulk face off is uh, your number one movies of recent years. Oh, <laughs> good research. I guess, Ryan. I guess one of the, was it the, uh, Oh, those, was like, it from the, um, like one, like equals one favorite movie from recent years kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And, um, and he said, I could do it from mine, which would require me to think of movies from recent years that I, that I had as number one. So I don't know that we're going to do that, but uh, we'll figure it out. Um, so let's do yours. Uh, first up, adaptation of The Last Samurai. Oh, man. Apples and oranges, eh? Um, yeah. I could see Nicolas Cage in The Last Samurai, though. Yeah. Honestly, even that same era of Nicolas Cage, I think you could easily see in it. With his Bangkok yeah. dangerous hair. Whew, that'd be something. 100%. Um, I do really like both of them. I think adaptation goes a little bit deeper. Um, and I think I find it a bit more memorable, but I do love the last samurai. I am going to go adaptation though. Same last samurai is good. I'm doing a rewatch. I don't remember much of it at this point. Um, adaptation. I do. I do really like, even if I definitely like her and eternal sunshine better. Um, I do prefer adaptation of being John Malkovich though. Fair splitting hairs, but still, um, the aviator or history of violence. Um, Probably a history of violence. The Aviator is great and big and epic in scope, and it's got great ensemble and performances and just a whole lot going on. But history of violence is just so lean and mean and effective. I've come back to it like a surprising amount of times for how like sort of bleak on the surface it would seem to be. So yeah, I think I'm going with that one. Sure. You know, Aviator is good. Aviator is like a great um, just want to watch a like a Hollywood movie. Yeah. Just done well. In the way that um, I think I've, I've used this quote before, but I remember someone saying when it came to like, I don't know if it was Bridge of Spies or The Post or something that sometimes when it comes to Spielberg, like why he's so good at what you, he does, sometimes you just want to be nestled in the bosom of a Hollywood movie. And yeah. It's kind of like, you know, aside from the Schindler's lists of the world or the Munich. So like when Spielberg, you can tell is like, this is my indie movie. Same budget, mind you but this is my indie movie. I'm going to be mean this time. I'm going to be, I'm going to go into bleakness. You know, the Fableman's probably is going to be maybe not a 
that, but his like more intimate look. But when he's going and making a Hollywood movie, he's doing it with all the trappings of a Hollywood movie. Uh, Scorsese sometimes does that, but I think Aviator is probably his closest to, aside from, I guess, like the age of innocence, you know, his most like old school Hollywood movie. Sure. Just with modern technology. Um, that being said, everything you said about history of violence is right. That movie is phenomenal. It's also a great example whenever you periodically see the – especially on Twitter sometimes like no sex scene in a movie is, is necessary. They, they don't – shouldn't exist at all. They're all um, awful for women and like they certainly can be if not done well. But I always point to a history of violence as like the movie that maybe has the most narratively important sex scenes. Oh, yeah. That is a se- those are two sex scenes that 100% drive the story and the characters forward. Like they, oh, that movie, the second one you, in particular if, may not be great to watch, but like they are important for the flow of the story. Yeah. Like I don't know how you watch that movie. I, it probably just doesn't play on cable. But like, you know, like if that movie was on USA or something, I'm, I mean, this is probably something that younger people don't, don't get. But like um, most people used to see movies on like basic cable or like regular tv like edited like cut down to death essentially and so i always imagine like what would that like i guess the airplane version used to be what it would be even though i think airplane movies now are not really edited no um, not at all I've, I've been shocked at the stuff i've been able to watch on airplanes with like p- kids oh, yeah. around me and nobody cares it's kind of great but yeah like a history of violence they would have to just i guess they maybe could do the first scene and just cut around a lot make it clear they're about to have sex but like the second scene i guess they would just have to like get rid of entirely and it would make no sense no exactly <clears throat> like uh, yeah it just doesn't work without it yeah no that movie is that movie is for what it's doing borderline perfect Agreed. Um, very very kind of like i don't want to say it's it's simple but it's not trying to it's do too straightforward yeah it's clear that that was a really great filmmaker taking a script that could have gone either way like definitely the bones of a script that should be a good movie. But that movie gets made by a thoroughly mediocre director. It's a fine movie and it's forgettable. Yeah, exactly. It could be, it could have been like, Oh, that was like a Mark Wahlberg movie. That was all right. You know, in the way that like, I don't remember two guns very well, for example, or like contraband or those kind of things. I'm like, yeah, they're not inept. And like, I'm sure that, you know, that's the thing Like most of these movies Unless they're commissioned like that, the scripts were always like seen as really good, potentially great movies, and then they get watered down over the years. This is an example of like the opposite. Yeah. In the same way, I guess like uh, Spielberg's War of the Worlds, like that could also have been just like um, the day the Earth stood still, the remake, where you're like this is all right, I guess, but clearly when they took the like, oh, we're remaking this, let's get a good script, they didn't then be like, let's make it better. It was all right, good enough, and we'll cut whatever we need to to hit our release date. When you have Spielberg there, that doesn't happen. When it's a younger Scott Derrickson, even he'll admit, like, yeah, that that happened. Like, not my favorite experience. Um, next up, the lives of others, or there will be blood. Two of the happiest movies you'll ever see. Yeah, no kidding. I really, I remember um, when I was putting together my list for um, for that year. Originally. Uh, because I think it was Pan's Labyrinth was kind of expected as more of the front runner for a uh, best foreign language film that year, and at the time, yeah. and at the time, it was my favorite of the year. 
And then, you know, the awards came out and it was announced that this movie I'd never heard of called The Lives of Others won. And it's like, well, I don't know what that movie is, but there's no way it's better than Pan's Labyrinth. And then I saw it and I was like, okay, respect. Uh, and to be clear, I love Pan's Labyrinth. It's one of the best fantasy sure. movies ever made, especially in recent <clears throat> years, and probably still Guillermo del Toro's best. But The Lives of Others is such a well-written, such a suspenseful, character-driven little story that like has such massive like societal and historical implications, but also keeps it very laser-focused on just these three characters and this strange sort of kind of relationship that they have. It's one that I feel like in more recent years has kind of you know, been forgotten about, but I think it's definitely worth checking out for anyone. Um, for sure. <clears throat> that said, There Will Be Blood is in my top 10 movies of all time. I think it's a masterpiece. Daniel DeLuis's performance might be one of my favorite movie performances ever, so I can't not choose that one. Okay. Um, I'm also going to go There Will Be Blood, even though I'm... I think they're both movies I like, don't love, probably need to see again, but this is our... our weekly um getting sidetracked moment there's always one right sometimes multiple ones because i was just thinking as you were saying that whenever there's a especially in the international as it's called now category clear front runner should be nominated for above the line oscar type things a la pan's labyrinth the the thing that either there's usually a competitor that you're like oh if not for that it would be getting that attention or it becomes a two-horse race and, and there's an upset like that. And I wanted to look at some of those years. Um, obviously, last year, like, you know, we're, we're kind of in a mild golden age for, like, the Academy actually, like, looking at international cinema in a, in a different way. So while, you know, Drive My Car's primary competition was probably the worst person in the world, like, Flea was right there as well. But, like, you take away Drive My Car, the worst person in the world probably wins that Oscar, right? Sure. Um. The year before wasn't really an example. Another round kind of just like dominated and was the the highest uh, profile one. Um, but for example, when Parasite was just the clear cut going to win, if you remember, there was there was that moment of like, but Pain and Glory is going to get there too, right? And like Pain and Glory would just as easily be the like clear cut winner if not for that. Um, Roma and Cold War, perfect example of that. As we also see a lot of times. Now, when we talk about these, the second one gets an above-the-line nomination recently. That didn't used to happen like that. Um, <clears throat> some years, it's just close, like a fantastic woman in the square. Always felt like a pretty close race. Um, the salesman and Tony Erdman was a very close race. That one, obviously, I think, uh, politically, partly came came to that. Tony Erdman was seen as the more likely winner until the, um, the, um, the ban happened. Right. And then suddenly it was, well... You know what we can do, because the Academy is, is nothing if not reactive as opposed to proactive, they did that. Um, I mean, Son of Saul kind of just went about, I guess Mustang might have been number two, but that was that was a little bit of a, a one-off. Um, I'm just looking to see if there's a couple other years like that. The uh, 86th Oscar is the, the Great Beauty one, but like The Hunt and The Broken Circle Breakdown were right there, and those are well-liked. Amor... Had um had no the Pablo Lorraine movie it had Contiki it had a Royal Affair that was a pretty good one but I got yeah. more was getting a Best Picture nomination. Um, <clears throat> seeing if there's another one, I guess In a Better World wins when Dogtooth is right there as well as Beautiful, which gets the um the Best Actor nomination. Yeah, for this sure. This is as, as I'm saying a, a a more recent one. Though I will say an interesting one was the year before 2009. <clears throat> 
the white ribbon and a prophet kind of always seemed like they were going to duke it out. And then the secret in their eyes wins. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good lineup, actually. Well, that comes right after the year before where I I always kind of take a little bit of of, uh, pride in that I got departures right. And everybody assumed it's probably Walter Bashir or it's the class or it's even maybe the Bider Minoff complex. Like that was, I think, a split ticket kind of situation. But that was nobody. I think maybe Chris Tapley was the other one. Like not a lot of people were predicting that one. I don't even remember why I did. Maybe just to be different. But yeah, even even if you go back to the year of the lives of others after the uh, after the wedding is right there. Well, no, exactly. I've always thought that's like one of my like you got lives of others, Pan's Labyrinth after the wedding. Like those three alone make that like one of the best international film lineups in Oscar history, I think. Sure. And when the sea inside wins, Downfall is right there. I know Downfall has become kind of a meme, but <clears throat> was a highly regarded film that year. It's a, uh, it, it is, I mean, Amelie is a, is sort of like an iconic pop culture-y kind of movie for a certain kind of, of, uh, a film fan. And, and I don't remember how, I don't know how people remember it lost No Man's Land one. Yeah. Um, the year before that Crouching Tiger and Amoris Paris were always sort of like, aimed at each other <clears throat> one was a phenomenon and one was like oh who's this guy in yari to but there were two i guess i, I guess my point was accurate yeah I'm just, it feels as pretty I, as I look back yeah i mean as you get into the 90s also they kind of if you look at the films in the 90s nominated a lot of times they just none of them made an impact afterwards you know i i'm it's like 50 50 whether i know they exist let alone have seen them some of these so that's you know not a not indicative of their quality, but indicative of the attention paid to them as a category at the time. So that was our quick uh, detour. I got us back on track a little closer, a little sooner than normal. Um, next one up, Synecdoche, New Yorker, and Glorious Bastards. I mean, this is a pretty clear-cut answer, but go ahead anyway. Uh, yeah, uh, I love Inglorious Bastards, but Synecdoche, New York is literally my all-time favorite movie. So, yeah. Um, Synecdoche is ambitious and good, but also hurts my brain. Um Inglorious Bastards is great. Uh, I mean, I might argue that Snecty might be a better movie just because I think it's it's so dense and and I think on the surface seemingly impenetrable, even though it's not. But what I I get more out of Bastards, at least now. I'm sure if I rewatched Snecty and especially in the right mind frame, I might have a very different reaction. But I remember the first the first time just being like, I am at where I'm watching something great, but at the same time I'm like a little annoyed that he's making it so hard for me oh yeah listen it's my personal favorite but i will never ever begrudge anyone who just can't hack that movie because it's not yeah, easily I mean, accessible it's very dense it's very weird it's very on its own wavelength it's you know it is charlie kaufman let off the rails and given the budget to just go nuts and he totally. does it with a blom but it is not it is not, and it should never be anyone's first movie. No, 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 no. Um, in the same way with, like, I'm thinking of ending things. I think you, if you don't know what his movies are, you're going to hate that movie. Oh, totally. Well, I uh, love his stuff, and even I have trouble with that one, so there you go. Yeah, that one, that one, that one, I think, was the point where, like, I don't know if you're even meant to penetrate this movie, and that's, that's a choice that I'm not, like, super wild about. Whereas I think Anomalisa is not necessarily easy viewing. But I think it lets you in a little bit more because it feels a little more relatable. Well, and that one feels much more penetrable in the sense of like, it's much easier. Like, 
you don't have to watch it a second or third time to understand what's happening in it. That one, you can fully get everything that he's putting down on the first viewing. Yeah. And maybe that's also he, you know, Duke uh, Duke Johnson is there in the same way that, um, you know, there was um, Michelle Gondry at times, like uh, Spike Jones. Someone to kind of rein him in a little bit. Yeah. And I hate that because I feel like. It, it sounds like, oh, you're not you, – you, you shouldn't be making movies on your own. You, no, he can do whatever he wants. I I do think that sometimes someone who's so creatively unique, especially if you look at who he's been paired with, usually a very creatively unique person also. It's not like it's uh, – again, this goes back to – I feel like we're always accidentally insulting Antoine Fuqua. But like you know, if, if Charlie Kaufman wrote a Fuqua movie, you know, be like, OK, this is meant to, to be a, uh, a mitigating influence. This is like when – when the the president picks a, a boring vice president, right? You know, to be like, oh, I'm not crazy. Trust me. Look, I picked Mike Pence. There's a whole other, well. whole other cool story <laughs> there. But you know what I mean. Well, no, um, and I, totally. And I think because Kaufman is such a singular creator, and he's got yeah. so many ideas and very interesting views on the world. But at the same time, like he wrote that book, Ant Kind, which I got a little over halfway through and just couldn't keep going with because it is taxing and there's so much to it and it's not that it's not good or well written or interesting but there's just so much to parse and it's so long that at a certain oh. point it just feels like he's been let off the reins in a bad way whereas Snetki like keep- he did have a big budget and he did have an amazing cast and he did have all the resources necessary to make it as great as I think it is but you know if he goes further than that without any need to worry about things like budget and if it's just his imagination yeah. let loose it can get a little wobbly. Sure. I, I, I keep thinking I'm going to read that book. And I mean, if you can't get through it, I don't know that I'm going to. I'm going to get back to it one day because I do want to finish it. It's just, you know, I'm not great about reading at the best of times. Uh, sure. It's 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 I'm, it's so much. <laughs> you, ba- you can I'm never make a movie out of it, I don't think. Yeah. I'm bad reading at home. There's just too many other things to do. Um, so like covid times, I, I fell behind a little bit just because you're home. Uh, back, you know, on the train, the screenings and stuff like that, I, I, I will bring my Kindle and, you know, can get an hour of reading. And sometimes I'm reading console wars still. I think I mentioned I was reading that. Yeah. It's that, that's pretty good. Cause it's written closer to a novel. And then I saw walking between screenings yesterday that Tom Parada, the writer who did, um, election has a sequel about Tracy Flick. I know you're, that's not like the movie that you care about that much, but I was like, Ooh, I'm, I'm interested. Tracy Flick can't lose. I think is the sequel. She's. I think like a assistant principal trying to become the principal. Oh, okay. Yeah. It could be interesting. Um, next up the social network or the cabin in the woods. I'm actually curious which one you'll pick here. Ah, yeah. These are, these are probably two of the best movies I ever saw in college. Um, Yeah. yeah, they're both masterpieces in very different ways, doing very different things. (laughs) I think very reluctantly, I think I am going to go with the social network because I think at the end of the day, the cabin in the woods is like one of the best and most important horror films of the last few decades. The social network is probably one of the most important American films, like period. Like, I don't know that anything's been made since then that's so perfectly sums up our era and feels just as prescient now as you know 10 years ago it it's kind of stunning how much 
you know, that movie sort of predicts things while still keeping its story laser focused. And I still think it's Fincher's best film. So social. Um, is it Fincher's best film? I, that's an interesting question for later. It might be. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Um, Cabin in the Woods is also great. I I'm, I was kind of hoping you would go to Cabin in the Woods just so I could tie break and go social network. Yeah, I guess the, I guess best film over best horror film, I guess, kind of sums it up. Also, you know, Joss Whedon's not great. So I think that's I could a, use that as a tiebreaker. That has like very lightly soured. I think still think it is great. And I think a lot of that can be contributed to Drew, Drew Goddard, who co-wrote. Oh, yeah, I hope it. It, it helps that he's just like involved. Um, yeah, if it was all, it was that, a like, fully Joss Whedon join, I would I would be having like it's like I don't go back to Firefly or Serenity anymore. I kind of sure. can't. I mean, there's enough other things that you're not – I don't know that you feel the push in the same way. Um, also, now that I'm thinking about this is like it's kind of a shame that social – I mean it had to come out at the time. But I do think the the Academy constituted as it is now, I think Social Network probably does win. Oh, I agree. I think that'll speech. that'll always go down as one of their worst best picture snubs. I mean – I, I mean, you know, the King's Speech is very much an Oscar movie, but we're starting to see that they there's enough people who don't think that way anymore that it's not necessarily the Oscar movie that wins anymore. Now, listen, like Coda in some ways is doing the I mean, we we did hours on this last year, but like the or I guess earlier this year, time is a flat circle um, in some ways is very much the traditional Oscar movie in some ways is like way smaller, way, way like lighter in some it, it in the same way that also. Power the dog in some ways is I keep saying some ways very different, but also has elements that are clearly up the Academy's alley. So I, I, I yeah, the way they went that time, I don't think they would go like if you if they revoted now, they would probably go social network um, just because we've seen enough examples of, you know, the the this year's King speech, whatever that is, whether it's I don't know the power dog is a good one to one example, but. The Trial of Chicago 7 and Mank maybe are closer examples of like, yeah, this is this is like the big prestige film. You guys like that, right? Just go for it. I don't remember what the what that would have been last year. Yeah. Uh, it really wasn't. Be- I mean, because we kind of had the we were coming out of pandemic era still like, yeah, we just weren't making those in the last year or two. Uh, so we're kind of spoiled for that. I mean, this year, maybe we'll we'll see what that with, you know, the the she says of the world and stuff. And maybe they're great, but. It seems like we're slowly getting back to prestige, you know, more, more traditional stuff. Yeah, which I mean, they have their place, and I, I feel like you I feel like a good Oscar lineup, especially now that we have ten again, should have a couple of those because that's part of Hollywood filmmaking is the big like we're making an important drama, you know, and hopefully it's good is the thing. Like, you know, you don't need. Uh, I'm trying to think of like. Like the blind side in there is fine, but you don't need that in there. Right. I, I was trying to think of a, a slightly more irrelevant one to me because the blind side works. It's just I, I don't love the like religion, religion and right wing stuff in there. But as a like sports movie, it's it's totally solid. Um, at the same time, I'm just like, I don't remember if it was the same year. I think it was a little afterwards. But, you know, Warrior probably now would get in over a blind side. Maybe. Warrior to me, I I think it's almost perfect, but it also does strike me as the kind of movie where it does exactly what it does in any era because it's something yeah. about it falls just shy of the cutoff point. Maybe. I mean, it also helps. I watched Warrior again a couple of days ago and, and yeah, it is perfect. It's one of those 
Um, and I think that's one of those like Twitter question things that I just have saved in my drafts and I haven't published because I probably saw it in the middle of the night. Um, what's a movie you watch anytime it's on TV? I stop whenever Warrior's on. I'm like, all right, that's what I'm doing the next 90 minutes, two hours, bang on when I find it. Just because I know the first half is great, but I know I want to see the the couple of scenes at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. Um, we'll, we'll talk more about Warrior another time just because I, I – we have other things to do. Uh, quickly on the rest of them. Un, uh, Django Unchained or her? <laughs> um, Django Unchained is top tier Tarantino for me. It's probably my second favorite of his films. Uh, it's just ruthlessly entertaining. It's the kind of movie where it's almost three hours, but it flies by. Yeah, also, only he probably could make it. Otherwise, you'd be like, this is icky. Yeah, no, nobody else could pull off that movie in that way. But I'm glad that we have him to be able to do it. Um, yeah. that said her, I think because it's so simple and because it kind of shoots straight to the heart, like, you know, Django is trying to be a very like entertaining movie. Her is like trying to like speak to your soul and like, yep. I think is very, very successful at doing so. So I'm going to go her thousand percent her, her is probably the most recent movie barring something in the last couple of years, which I haven't really thought about. That I when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, this is cracking my all-time list." Yeah, like with, with you with everything you see these days. But you know, um, everything everywhere specifically. But it has been a good year for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I I feel like I've heard a couple of times, like, "Oh, this is might be an all-timer." Which, listen, I mean, that's that's the nature of that list is meant to change. I think sometimes people well, are too it's much like, like me, where you're like, "This list is set in stone. Lock it up and throw away the key." Well, it's like every now and then we do get like a 1999 or a 1984, you know, like one of those years sure. where just like a shit ton of like iconic stuff all comes out back to back. And sometimes it just plays out that way and we get lucky. Yeah. Well, I mean, as we're a movie we're going to talk about when we finish when we finish this, sometimes a movie just surprises you where you're like, I didn't expect this to be good. And maybe that makes it better or not that I didn't expect it to be good. I just didn't care or I didn't have any expectations or just it was meant to be today's movie. Um. You know, sometimes that is a help. Um, I'm going to go her just because it's an all-timer. Django's great. Um, maybe a shade down from from my top tier of Tarantino. But also maybe just because I haven't seen it as many times because it is a, a long movie. And it's not on TV a ton. I've, I've come across it once or twice, but it's, it is a, it is a big ask sometimes. It's like, oh, it's, like you said, almost three hours long. Um, Selma or Spotlight? Speaking of, like, that type of Academy movie that I'm glad they still make because when they're good like this or great, in at least one of these cases, you are thrilled. No, oh, absolutely. Yet Selma kind of got fucked at the Academy. Like it has that yep. nomination, but what, what's it doing for it? Um, yeah, no, it, it should, at this point it should have just not gotten any, or it should have been the, 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 like the real, the real fuck of getting picture and nothing else. Like it, that would have been the right film of that to be like, Oh, it's an Academy's friendly type film, but it's about a, an African-American. It's directed by an African-American lady. I don't know. We don't like that for some reason. Like it would have perfectly fit that narrative of what kind of movie would have that statistically improbable, if not impossible kind of vote. And instead they skirted it by being, well, we like the song too. Yeah. And like that, that should have been, that should have been a best actor front runner. That's yeah, still wild I to mean, me. I still remember being at the when Paramount used to do the um, holiday party, being at the party with all of them and telling uh, David Oyelowo, "Congrats on the Oscar you're about to win." Oof. So whoops. Oof. Uh, I mean, it sure seemed when when you first saw that movie, 
And the same with like with, with Judas and the Black Messiah, when you saw Daniel Kaluuya, like, well, yeah, this is exactly what's going to win the Oscar. Like, it, it, show, it so checks the box of what they look for while being good. Because there were also times where like, you know, like when I saw King Richard last year, when I when I when I saw it at, at one of the film festivals, and going, yeah, I get why he's going to win. Like, I think the performance is good. I don't think it would crack my top five of the year, but I get why it's checking all the boxes and is a very easy, yeah, let's give it to him. Um, David Oyelowo was doing the, the same thing in a movie that I felt like was a little more challenging, less entertaining. I rewatched King Richard recently, and I'm like, I still think it's fine to good, but it is an easy watch, a deceptively easy watch. For sure. Um, well, yeah, Selma I think, is... I think both Selma and Spotlight are like incredibly well-made versions of what they're doing, but yeah. both are difficult to watch for different reasons. Like they're think, di- like Selma, I think, is a profoundly amazing film, but it's not one I can... Ne- like it's not one I can watch casually. I have no, to kind of psych myself up for it a little bit. I think I think Spotlight is a little easier to watch because it has the, the big like dramatic out- outburst scene well that's exactly I, I Spot- that and spotlight scene. has like a good like you know ensemble cast and like that investigative journalist template that that's always yeah, so engaging the, the occasional the occasional witty remark like it, it, it is a uh, that movie is trying to appeal to everyone in a way that i feel like selma not that it isn't but is clearly i'm making this movie my way and yeah whatever happens what it happens with it. and i think it's a very good movie i don't know that it has a a big scene, which I think might have hurt it also. You know, it's just consistently well done. And that's that's great. Like, we we need movies like that. But I think a lot of times people need, especially the, the Academy sometimes, needs the, the the Mark Ruffalo, you know, it's time scene. And yeah. I know that's, that's like the only scene that some people find divisive. I still think it's great. Like, I feel like you do need that scene. You need them to express, like, we're, you know, they... We need to express how this is affecting us. We're writing about like kids being diddled. This is like profoundly upsetting. Um, and Selma, to some degree, like its character, has a lot of like dignity about it. And that I think it's I think it's not necessarily about that. histrionics or big dramatic. It's, yeah. it's more about the subtler moments. Oh yeah, it gives it gives you that one with um with uh with Lyndon Johnson telling uh, uh Tim Roth's uh. I know this. I know this. The governor of uh, George Wallace. You know, I'm, I'll be damned if I let history lump me in with the likes of you. And like, listen, the movie doesn't say that Lyndon Johnson is any good either. You know, but like, you know, can be, be moved to do the right thing. Um, but it's not it's not going big in the same way. Um, I, I don't know which one you were going. I guess since I've been talking a lot, I'm going Spotlight. They're both great. I just think Spotlight, by virtue of of hitting a few more of like the movie moment muscles, is a little bit. Like, I'm going to reach for that one a little bit more often. Yeah, I, I'm going to go Spotlight as well for the same reason. I just think if you asked me to rewatch one of them now, I would lean towards Spotlight just because I know it's like some is a great movie. Some is an important movie. I'm so glad some exists, but it's not the kind of movie that I would see myself watching super often by comparison. Totally. Um, next up, Arrival or The Shape of Water? Uh, I really love both of these films. I really love that both of these films were Oscar movies. Like, I'm a genre guy. I love my sci-fi. I love my horror. I love my weird stuff. I love seeing it sort of crack into the Oscar stuff that can sometimes be a little plain Jane. Um, Sure. I think 
push comes to shove, I'd go with Arrival because that was the one for me, kind of like you were talking about with her. Uh, there was a recent movie where just like that was immediately like, oh, that's like the best thing I've seen in a theater in years. Uh, it, it was just that like, holy shit moment. Uh, I just think it's so well made. Um, but no shade on The Shape of Water, which I adore. Fair enough. Uh, I don't love The Shape of Water, so I have to go Arrival. And Arrival took me a couple of times also, which I think I've, I I don't know if I've told this story on on here, but I, I have like it. That's one that took I think I saw it three times. Um, just because I kept taking a different person to see it during like the award season. Nowadays, I'm I'm a little lazier and I go, like, can I just come to the party? I've seen the movie or can I come to the Q&A? Um, but I, I saw it, I think, alone at a screening and was a little underwhelmed because I, I guess the you know, it's not really a twist, but it's, you know, like it's a thing. I, I got it earlier than not earlier than you're intended to, but I feel like the movie works best if it sneaks up on you a little bit more. And then when I watched it the second time, I was watching it seeing like, well, in the same way you kind of like when you watch The Sixth Sense for a second time, like, does it work that way? And you confirm it still works. And then that third time I was like, well, what if I just don't care and go in? And I liked it better that time. It, it never cracked my top 10, but I thought it was it was very well done. Um, the Shape of Water, I probably am do a rewatch because there's so much about it I should like more than I do. But it's it just kind of like sits there with me and I'm like, it's fine. So I will, I will in fact go, uh, go arrival. Two more, Black Klansman or Parasite. Um, both great movies. Um, B- both high on my top ten that year. Yeah, I, I, I just really like both. Um, Black Klansman is great, but it can be a little shapeless at times, which I think There's adds also a to couple s- of Spike Lee things. But go on, yeah, finish which, what you're saying before I say it. Which I don't dislike, but yeah, it is a thing. And um, it's like the high moments are so high, it doesn't ultimately matter. But it's not as like well-structured as like a do the right thing, for example, oh, just yeah. to throw out a well, this likely. This uh, is also kind of like what we were talking about with the other with, – um, with Charlie Kaufman, like having other writers there and taking a script that was probably like very okay at best and infusing it with like all of the things that Spike Lee does well – and only a few of the things that I think we watched and go, I wish you weren't doing that was why that was such a, an effective film. Cause I, I don't know that it needs the, 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 the bookends of like uh, real life footage, but you know, he's going to do it because right. he loves that. And it's, and you're like, okay, but I, I got the point. Like, but also that's, that's clearly like he likes to put a timestamp on things. Like the Charlottesville had just happened uh, six months before a year before it was what he was thinking about when he was editing the film, I would imagine, or was finishing making the film. So of course you could have put it in. We always forget about that. Like, you know, it's, it's been how long, but like, that was the thing on his mind. That was what he was angriest about at the moment. So like, it's not a ding. It's more just uh, that that's not as great as some of the other scenes. Whereas I think the, when they have that, that scene where um, he and his, his superior officer are talking about, you know, David Duke, like having political ambitions, like what a clan member in the white house, it would never happen. Oh, yeah, you think that would never like it's so clear what they're talking about, but they're doing it like just ever so subtly and, and, and cleverly that you're you're in. And I think that's so much of what the movie actually does do well, which is it's almost like a trick. Like, oh, you guys don't sometimes watch my movies when I'm big, loud, angry, um, not trying to couch it within something else. What if I do that? Will you watch my movie? Oh, you'll give me an Oscar this time. Joke's on you. I'm still getting all of my points across. <laughs> exactly. 
No, it's great. And I love that he he finally won something for it. I mean, yeah, and it's for a very appropriate here, movie. So, you know, I have my fault. Fu- yeah, I have my thoughts about that. But anyway, it's funny. It's also funny. We're spending so much time talking about the movie. Neither one of us are picking. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> all this long way to say I don't have a single thing that I don't like about Parasite. I, I think exactly. it's one of the most just in terms of the history of the Academy, it's easily one of the most exciting best picture wins and just, you know, it get it won most of the things it was nominated for. Like it did really fucking well. And for a foreign language film to do that, especially one that like so cuttingly gets to the heart of what society is kind of at right now. Like that is, that is just an all timer moment. And it's just an all timer of a film. Sure. I, I sometimes am a little resistant to, um, movies that everyone says is amazing. Same like everything, everywhere at once this year. That was, everyone told me it's the best movie ever made. So you kind of go in like, okay, prove it. And, and I will say parasite. I remember when that movie ended going, God damn, everyone's right. It is, it is as good as everyone said. Um, and that's a really fun movie to show people because you know, when the movie is going to turn into a completely different movie and they don't. And it is, it is phenomenal. Like for anyone who, who hasn't done that, Show someone who doesn't know the movie, the movie. And as soon as that hidden doorway is discovered, they're like, wait, what the fuck movie am I watching now? And you're like, by the way, this is almost exactly the middle point of the movie. You have half a movie left. Mm-hmm. And it's going to keep oh. one upping itself from here. Like that whole exactly. section in the middle, that sustained sequence is just like the tension that ratchets up with each new revelation and each new development. And suddenly the, the family comes back and it just becomes, Oh my God. Like, Oh, my favorite is when someone goes, seat. wait, is this a horror movie? And I go, Nope. And they're like, well, what, what could I possibly be watching? I like, just keep watching. Um, all right. Last one. I think we've done this combination a couple times before, um, before we get to our last topics, Judas and the black Messiah or drive my car. I will quickly say, because I know, uh, miles is more passionate about both these films. Um, I've been clear about Drive My Car just not working for me, even though there's no criticism about it being not good. Judas and Black Messiah is very good. I, we always kind of feel like because we know one of the writers, it's a little weird to talk about. But yeah, it's just well done. It's another version of what I was talking about above, like this movie that could be homework, but feels lively. And part of it is the filmmaking and part of it is the acting. But it's just you can tell that no one is taking it as an assignment. And that always helps. So so that's the reasoning that I'll use besides the fact that every once in a blue moon, I think Keith, Keith does listen and I wouldn't want to upset him. <laughs> well, Keith, if you are listening, I fucking love your work and Judas and the black Messiah is an amazing movie and He's probably not listening this time. <laughs> yeah, of course this will be the one that he skips. Um, yeah. No, I, I mean, you know, I love these, both these movies. We've talked about both of them at length uh, throughout the history of the podcast. Um, as I did last time, I think we brought up the same pairing. I am going to go with drive my car. I think that may just be a reflection on how 2021 was a significantly better year for film than 2020 through sure. reasons that are obvious. Um, but also I think drive my car just hits at some more universal themes and sort of is a little bit more in my personal wheelhouse. Whereas Drew's okay. and the black Messiah kind of similar to Selma. You got to kind of be in the mood for it. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, no offense, not going to watch that movie again for a long time. Exactly. It's great. It's worth watching. Everyone should see it. But it's not like a, oh, you know, this is what I'm going to put on. And neither is Drive My Car, if I'm honest. But like. Yeah, yeah you don't have three hours, first of all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, quickly, before we wrap up on a little bit of festival stuff, um, we both saw a movie. I mean, Miles, did you see anything else? 
Um, I got caught up in The Boys, finally. That's about it. <laughs> I got to watch The Boys one day. I don't have Prime, so it's just not like sitting there. I think I probably have a, a press account that I just am not aware of. I probably do. Um, I was actually supposed to get sent the DVD. Like They put the first two seasons out on Blu-ray a couple weeks ago or a month ago, and it got stolen. Oh, no. And and like they they resent Father Stew, but not The Boys. Oh, that's an insult. And I was like, <laughs> couldn't we have traded? Um, and I'm just, I'm not going to, I know I can watch it. I can figure it out. Like, I know I'm going to love it if I ever watch it. I just, one of these days I'll get around to it. Or I'll just have Prime one day. I just, I don't ever need anything that fast. I don't think I live a simple life. I think I'm just lazy enough that I'll wait the extra day or two. Um, but we both saw Vengeance. Um, I watched it. I actually went on someone else's podcast recently to talk about it. I watched it in the worst scenario possible. I watched it, I believe, last Tuesday after recording the episode, not starting until one o'clock in the morning or something like that. Jeez. Still having to like write the review afterwards. So I freely admit that is a great way to have a two and a half star review of just a movie where like, this is fine. I don't care. Um, and I would say a third of the way. I don't remember exactly the point where I was like, oh, I like this movie. But there is this definitely a point where I, I love this movie. And then by the end, you're like, this might, this is like maybe top five of the year so far for me. I, I, I went over the moon for vengeance. Um, I, I know you, you said it in your tweet and we'll talk about it in a minute, but it's, it's a movie that has something to say about having something to say, which is really kind of clever. Um, because it is, it is skewering the idea of like the important true crime podcast, the, the, um, New York elitist who is like, Oh, I, I must know better than you. the, to some degree, toxic masculinity. Like, there's a lot of that stuff going on that could be very serious, but it's also couched in a very funny movie, a very, like, interesting mystery when it decides to be about that. It's it's so well done in a, in a way that I did not expect in the slightest. Um, and it and it kind of sneaks up on you. The opening scene is is writer-director, star BJ, BJ Novak, and um, a cameo by John Mayer playing someone who could be John Mayer. He just plays John and is a friend of BJ Novak in real life, but they're basically just talking about how they like kind of obje- objectify women and it's it's just what we do. Like we we use all the apps, all that stuff. I'm going to maybe only date three women at the moment because I want to be serious with them. And slowly just ups its game until you realize like, oh, it's still talking about like – it's still doing the comedy of a New Yorker in like very r- rural Texas. But at the same time, it's talking about the like political divide and like they never mentioned Trump but – the idea of, of every time you hear someone say, well, if we only talk to each other and we would feel like we have the same values, but like this, that, the other thing is getting in the way. It's doing all of that within a really, a really well done movie that works if you want kind of like a smart comedy, works if you want a mystery, works if you want a drama, like has a lot going on, which all leads to the obvious nature that um, the movie opened number 10 at the box office and nobody saw it. Yeah, this is one of those situations where... I feel like we're in a position and like maybe even have a responsibility to do a little bit of advocacy because this is a movie that I think a lot of people are going to sleep on, but it is absolutely worth your time. I also love this movie. I did end up putting it in my top five of the year, which considering this year, that's a hell of an achievement. I'm going to look up what I did right now as you talk. I I think uh, it's definitely got one of my favorite scripts of the year. It is so smartly written. Oh yeah, when it's... When it's doing any of the things it's doing, it's doing it really well. Yeah, it's my number four movie of the year. I put it right under um, the Nick Cage movie, though I might move it up. 
All right. Well, there you go. No, I think I think I was just blown away because, like you, I I went and I'd heard good things, but and I liked the trailer, yeah, but I wasn't. I didn't have like any kind of major expectations. I don't um, think I even saw the trailer. I did, and it was a good trailer, and it sort of gave you a sense of it, but it also doesn't give anything away that you wouldn't want to know. Yeah, I just knew it was. Uh, it played at, at Tribeca, but it didn't screen conveniently. Like I don't like everything. Kind of was available online at the same time, and that wasn't. And I guess that was maybe just because it was already bought by Focus. But I took it as like, oh, well, I'll get around to it or it won't be around or whatever. It just it never it never popped up as a way out that I was going to watch it. And like 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 when we, we said earlier, it just, oh, it's coming out this week. I should probably request a link. Oh, I got the link. Here we go. It's, you know, if we're doing that, it kind of makes sense that nobody went to see it because – I don't know. I, I never saw. I, I don't watch a ton of TV, but I didn't see a commercial for it on TV. I didn't really hear anyone talk about it. the press day. Was kind of very small um, when I saw it, and then was like, "Oh, I, I'd love to like interview BJ." They're like, "Oh, we're we're wrapped already on that." Like, there wasn't a ton of uh, effort. I think made like it made uh, like a million and a half. I think it made less Jeez. than uh, it made less than the how fifty uh, third day of Jurassic World Dominion. I think. Oh, um, that's so depressing. Here, I'll, I'll look. I'll look up the actual weekend because I'm looking at the daily gross. It was still number uh, number um, ten. But yeah, no. There's just something about uh, a movie like this that is that is so, like you said, smart. And when it's being a comedy, it's funny. When it's being a mystery, it's it's intriguing. I think it gets to like some surprisingly emotional places. There's a so we'll talk about the plot in a second. But yeah, it made one point seven five million dollars. And in the eighth week of release, Jurassic World Dominion made 2.1. Jesus. And in the tenth week of release, Top Gun Maverick made 8.4. Well, I mean, and obviously these are films competing in very different budget brackets, trying to do very different things. But it is still, you know, it's, 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 it is the current state of affairs for better and for worse. Totally. Um, but yeah, no. So yeah, going in with like basically no expectations i was blown away i like it's so funny when it wants to be like you said the murder mystery is like shockingly like well involved and developed and even though i i did kind of peg like what i thought might be one of the reveals there's actually a series of reveals that sort of build on each other and they they make the the whole like so much bigger than the sum of its parts yeah there's only a couple of things that could happen and the movie just kind of like plays out all of them while saying, well, I guess in a way kind of all those things did happen. Well, exactly. It, no, it's very interesting. And it's got and it's got enough red herrings that like, you know, you can kind of you you have fun puzzling it out. But at the same time, it's a very sharp sort of satire on this kind of, you know, liberal lifestyle of like just assuming that everyone has it as good as you do, you know. But it also it, I like it because it doesn't talk down to any of its characters. No. But at the same time, it's willing to challenge both sides of things. There's like, there's a fight that ensues in a parking lot that I don't want to get into the specifics of, but there's a lot of sort of points being made on both sides of the divide. And those points are being made in anger, but there is a certain hurtful truth going both ways that I think is really, it's shockingly well balanced for, because this kind of movie could go one of two ways. It could be, like a non self aware snarky sort of look at like oh a normal guy stuck in the backwards yeah. you know south or it could be like these people are martyrs and heroes and we should learn everything from them and they know how to really live life and it doesn't really do either it finds a good balance between like 
you know, different lifestyles are for different peoples, but also the country's kind of fucked right now. And there's a certain obsession with being famous and obsession with, you know, having the first word or like being able to quantify and understand your problems and just so oh, many socioeconomic, yeah. like it, it has so much to say about so many things. But like I said, in that tweet, the number one thing it has something to say about is the need to have have a take to have oh, yeah, some the, important thing to say about the times especially in the context of like a true crime podcast which oh, yeah. is like already super exploitative so anyone who knows nothing about this movie essentially he's so he's he's this the guy we sort of explained like set up as like uh, not a dick but just like the guy that you would meet at a party and be like parts of you are great and parts of you are just exhausting like i, I don't think i'm going to be your friend type guy and, you know, they establish the, the hookup culture thing he's involved in. And he gets a phone call one night, well, with a hookup from someone saying his girlfriend died. And he's like, I don't know. You know, he, he's, he, the, the script is smart enough that, like, he's saying he doesn't know what's going on, but in just the right way that the person calling assumes it's grief and confusion. As they, like, sort of parse out information, he's trying to, like, look through his phone to figure out who it is, figures out. It's like, oh, I, I hooked up with this girl a couple of times. And, the only thing, if there's one thing the script does that's a little uh, too easy, is he goes to the funeral. I feel like that probably wouldn't happen. Um, but once no, he's but there, also it sets the stage for what I think might be one of the funniest funerals in film history. Oh yeah, no, he gets roped into speaking at the funeral, and he's like, I know, knowing nothing about this person. Uh, yeah, no, he's he's like, she loved music, like taking a taking a stand. Well, yeah, he, he, well, he nods. looks over to the side and he sees a picture of her holding a guitar and the guitar next yeah. to it. It's like she she loved music. I know that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> That's she the only loved thing music. I got, but I know that she loved me. Just like keeps repeating, but he's doing it in such a, a way that you're like, oh, he's so like heartbroken over this. And and that stuff is what. Okay, I think I know what this movie is. And then quickly it pivots to the guy who called was her brother. who's Boyd Holbrook, who sometimes is good and sometimes is like whatever in movies, um, is pretty good here. Oh, it's like one of his best performances, I think. Totally. Because he knows how to thread that line between not playing the character stupid, but also like maybe kind of naive. Yeah, he's not stupid. I think I think so many versions of this character would be stupid. And this character is just like, I'm aware of where I'm from. I I, he know a lot of these characters, they know what they don't know, which is interesting. And I think that's honestly more of what you have in the world you know well, and it's and going back to that parking lot scene you later find out he knows a lot more than you would expect him to know and like exactly. he's, he's actually very keenly aware about what the situation is but he's like just not talking about it because you know yeah. the the other aspect of it was more important totally and and what he tells um bj novak's character is uh so she died but she, she died of an overdose but she didn't do drugs this she was murdered like, this death is mysterious. I'm going to find out who killed her and kill her. Kill him. And I assume it's – and he, he basically rattles off like a bunch of kind of like stereotypical like they're not white people. So you think you're in this one type of movie and you can tell he's like horrified. But at the same time, he starts to see the makings of, oh, this could be the true crime podcast that makes me famous. And essentially decides to stay and, and kind of help but also just spend time with the family while – making a podcast um his editor is, is Issa ray who, who like tell me there's a dead white girl oh i'm in and it leads to one of the best it's not even like a joke it's just so smart he does this opening like in the same way like cereal would do the 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 opening kind of thing before she'd be like this is cereal and he sets it up how it's about like delusion in, in small town america and like 
this this great girl is dead and they need to make it mean something blah 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 it's very moving it's very kind of profound it's also kind of snarky and 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 self-serious and he goes i'm ben manalowitz this is dead white girl like they just they just <laughs> name it dead white girl oh and it's great but at the same time you know the family like likes him and that was the thing they she said they were dating and they kind of be, fell in love with the idea of this like fun new york oh like, this was like elite. the love of her life <laughs> yeah and they became like oh my god ben that guy in new york who's like a successful i think they don't say writer oh he wrote for for the new york for new york, magazine, new york magazine and he's like, like no, no, no the new yorker the new yorker <laughs> but they they have this imagined version of him which is great because then slowly he starts to see the version of her that they saw and he sees in his phone like how he kind of like you know hooked up with her and then was a little dismissive and and there's a lot of like genuine emotion there and like, oh, I, I treated her poorly. Like I didn't kill her. But am I in like any small way responsible for her not being around anymore? Which leads to later on when he's thinking he's wrapping up the podcast, you know, it has to be about something bigger. So it becomes about how he doesn't have love in his life. And it's very kind of it's not funny, but it's like, oh, of course he would think it's about him. But it's also like a kind of heartbreaking like admission of I don't know that I'm a good person. And that's, that goes back to scriptures doing so many things well. And you forget this is also a movie that dovetails into investigating her death and just running into like police that don't care. Um, a sketchy character who you're like, I don't know if he had anything to do with it, but he sticks out. And maybe that's the point that like anyone who's not a part of this crowd sticks out and then leads to when they kind of get to finally revealing what happened, takes it to a, a very interesting conclusion. We won't we won't spoil what happens, but. The way that Ben decides to pursue the the end result of, of finding out that information is wildly bold. I, I told it to someone that it's almost the promising young woman ending for me, where like when they first start to do it, I'm like, oh, I wish you hadn't done that. And then once they finish what they're doing, I go, oh. So you'll understand what I'm talking about. When it goes to the next scene and the, the two like inept cops answer the call and go, oh, yeah, they had an yeah. accident? And you're like, oh, that's okay. I I get what they're doing. This is just what happens here. That's actually pretty clever. Well, yeah. I mean, for me, I think it's more successful because it ties into, you know, the themes of the film and sort of the idea of the change that has happened in his character. And that's what I think is so great about it as a whole is how well balanced it is. Like, it's just as much, you know, a cultural satire as it is a character study as it is a murder mystery as it is just a really funny comedy like there's yeah, so the much little, about it that works lines. well like, and even stuff they, like he, like when they go to the fair the fair is the great twinkies and he goes can i get can i get mine uh, grilled yeah or even like the family themselves like it would be so easy oh, yeah. to make them stereotypes or caricatures but i think every the, single one of them even if you only spend a little time with them they all feel very distinct and you know they've got their yeah. own personalities and oh, yeah, was it kansas city the the dove cameron character like she wants to be famous for being famous like well she's exactly so set up as like i just want to be out of here i'll do whatever right but then you know they all have like moments where they kind of think like oh he's smart i can just like talk to him about something they all sort of confess a bit and she just inadvertently says something super like emotional and profound and you can tell he's like kind of wild by it but then also has that look of i wish i would have recorded that or that's going in the next episode of the podcast 
Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's what's oh, so what's interesting about it is that in any other thing, it would be like, oh, I'm doing the podcast like as a ruse. Like I think they think I'm going to help with the thing, but really I'm taking advantage. Yeah. No, he, he but tells he tells them, them he tells them up front, no, I'm doing this as a podcast. And none of them are like, oh, well, don't you think that's kind of, you know, making light of her death? They're all like, ooh, a podcast. I get to be on a podcast. And even the grandma's yeah, like, all- ooh, I'm going to take this opportunity to tell you about the history of Texas. And, you know, yeah, there's the one like- sister who wants to be in film and like, yeah, like it all goes together so well. Oh, yeah, because they're all like – in the same way, like they never mentioned Serial or This American Life or whatever. But it's all men of like, oh, podcasts are how like people get famous nowadays. It even leads to – we won't get into like the spoilers of it all. But a character who who like confesses something to him even says like, oh, we're going to be on a podcast together. Yeah, exactly. You know, in, in a scenario that is utterly insane to be saying that. But you understand why that person would believe like, you know, everything else – Every other situation even relating to this, especially going back to like a serial or something like that, like, oh, no, this is just going to be a thing where we're tied together and there there is no truth because everyone gets to have their own truth. Like that's probably the most overt Trumpy thing in the movie is that character who I don't think is necessarily that kind of thinking. He's meant he's sort of presented as a little bit of everything, but just going like everyone gets to have their own truth. So I'm happy to let people have theirs that has me as X. And has me as why, because I will get to be famous and important because of it. And everyone's happy, you know, minus the the uh, the one bad thing about that all. No, exactly. Well, and that's the thing. And it takes that, you know, that conversation about like fame culture and wanting to be heard and wanting to have a take and wanting to have other people discuss you because that's like. Like he even says, like the record of you after you're gone, it sort of takes that to its logical conclusion and ties it in with the rest of the plot in a way that I thought was very organic. A hundred percent. So, um, yeah, movie's amazing. We will probably talk about it more when we talk about like things we really like this year because it's just amazing. Um, before we wrap, I know we're going long again. It's funny. We we don't have Steve and then we go longer, which is funny. I'm sure he's delighted when he edits these. But um Quick check-in on the festival circuit, just because I'll be at many of them. Uh, as, earlier in the day, um, Noah Baumbach's White Noise announces the opening film of the New York Film Festival, which also we know is going to have Till playing there. Not as in one of the slots, but just as a film at the festival. Um, tell you why we won't know about until that weekend, so like I'll let everyone know when I'm there. But you can also parse through it. So as I go through the list of Toronto stuff, because I'll be a TIFF, um, when it says what kind of a premiere it is, that often is a an answer. So, um, Miles, you might do you know offhand some of the stuff at Venice or not really? Um, I they all came around like a few. It'll days be familiar. Other, and I don't I don't remember which ones are going to Venice okay. versus Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Well, Toronto here, the gala presentations, the ones that I think people will care about. So if I skip one that you you like, I'm sorry. Uh, the greatest beer run ever is Peter Farrelly. That's the Green Book follow-up. That's a world premiere. So that's go- that's not going to Telluride. That's starting there. Um, also, odd- interestingly, uh, A Jazz Man's Blues, which is a Tyler Perry movie. I think yeah, I saw place. that one. That's interesting. So I um, – like that's a good example. Of, like I don't know that I'm going to go out of my way to see that one, but it definitely has me curious. You know, I hope it's a good one because if it's not, I, I will – you know, <laughs> I'll be tortured. Um, Paul White says a movie moving on. That's a world premiere. Catherine Hardwick has Prisoner's Daughter, which is a world premiere. You know, these are these are sometimes the ones that you're 
I, uh, how good are they? I don't know. We'll find out. Um, Sydney's a world premiere. Um, so, for example, The Sun, Florian Zeller, North American premiere, which means that is at Venice. So that's how you start to uh, figure it out. Um, the Woman King is a world premiere. So you know it's not going to tell you right. It's not going to Venice. Um, All Quiet on the Western Front, the new um, version of that book, because it's not a remake of the movie, uh, from Netflix, world premiere. The the Banshees of Inisherin, I'll figure out how to pronounce that throughout the year. North American premiere, so that's probably going to Telluride. Uh, Broker, Canadian premiere, going to Telluride, probably probably going to New York. I believe most of the the bigger Cannes movies tend to go to NYFF. Um, Bros from Nicholas Stoller, world premiere, which I'm kind of curious about. I yeah, love the that fact could be really a, good. There's an Apatow raunchy uh, a romantic comedy that's just predominantly gay cast like it probably it's it's just shocking that hasn't happened yet but it is cool that like apatel going you'll just green light whatever i want like let's just do this like and let's make it like exactly like my movies uh lena dunham's new movie catherine called birdie is a world premiere um causeway which used to be red white and water that's the um jennifer lawrence brian tyree henry movie um that just went from a24 to apple in a move that i don't think is a great view of its quality um but is a world premiere that does seem like one of those like tiff movies and like um what was the movie uh with natalie portman where she was going to play the the diaper astronaut oh uh lucy Lucy in the sky lucy in the sky yeah it feels like one of those i still think like if it's if it's even halfway decent like that that story could be very awards friendly for at least um her and actress <clears throat> but it could easily be not the best movie in the world, for example. Uh, Decision to Leave, Park Chan-wook, that's North American premiere, so it apparently is not going to tell you right. Keep in mind, sometimes that is not the case, and um, they uh, you know sneak things or do surprise screenings. Probably not for that. Um, Devotion, world premiere. And that movie has a chance to be pretty good. One well, Glenn Powell's second time in a fighter jet this year. Totally, and Jonathan Majors. Yeah, like always good to see him uh, as a bigger, a bigger and bigger star. Um, Canadian premiere Empire of Light that is going to be at Telluride, I would almost guarantee and possibly on YFF. <coughs> uh, Joanna Hogg has a movie that's a North American premiere. The Fableman, Steven Spielberg, world premiere. I don't think this will go to Telluride, even though I wouldn't be super shocked. Uh, they made such a big, big deal of it being his first time there. And like, it got its own like announcement. I feel like they locked that in. Cause also if you, uh, if you might've seen the Venice direct, the uh, head of like programming was upset. They didn't have it, that they thought they were going to get it. So I'm sure Tiff got some sort of exclusive. Right. Um, also world premiere glass onion and knives out mystery. We knew about that previously. Also world premiere, the good nurse Tobias Lindholm. That's the Jessica Chastain, um, Eddie Redmayne, he's a serial killer doctor and she's a nurse movie. Yeah. <coughs> I think it's Netflix. Um, let's see. Stephen Frears has a uh, world premiere, The Lost King. Menu is a world premiere. That was supposed to be a uh, Alexander Payne movie. Oh, interesting. That is, uh, I never knew that. Ray Fine, It's Ray Fiennes and Anna Taylor Joy now. It was supposed to be. I don't even know if Ray Fiennes was involved at the time, but I know it was Emma Stone was supposed to be in the war, in that. That sure shit seems like a cannibal movie, right? 
Like a making eating or, people movie? Or something, yeah. <coughs> Maybe Shades of Fresh. Maybe, but interested. Mia Hansen Love has a movie, One Fine Morning, that's a Canadian premiere. Probably going to New York. Maybe going to Telluride. Uh, My Policeman is a world premiere. That's seen as like a potential awards player. Nanny is an international premiere. That played at Sundance. Uh, let's see. Triangle of Sadness is the United States, American, it's the North American premiere. So that is not going to Telluride or, um, NYFF. That's one, the Palm Door. I do think, it's funny, they almost always go to NYFF though. So I wonder if, actually, some of these things could go to New York because that happens after TIFF. So keep that in mind. Uh, Wendell and Wild, the Henry Selleck movie is a world premiere. Nice. Uh, Sarah Polly's movie Woman Women Talking is an international premiere, so I'm not quite sure what that means. <clears throat> I think that's probably at Venice, but I don't know. International premiere is a weird way to put that. Uh, the Wonder, the Sebastian Lilo movie, it's Canadian premiere, so that is probably going to Telluride. I think a fantastic one went to Telluride, and North American premiere of The Whale, so that is Ooh. not going to Telluride. Apparently, I thought that was going to Telluride for sure. I think. Um, this is all speculation, unless I know, in which case I'm just lying and saying it's speculation. Let's assume it's speculation. In truth, I don't think I know for sure. Um, <clears throat> I believe three of the things that will be at Telluride are Bardo, the Netflix movie, which is going to Venice. So I think that would be Venice, Telluride, New York, if I had to guess for that one. I believe that's going to be the same thing for Blonde. And I know of a third one that I, or I think I know a third one that I'm forgetting. That's not a Netflix movie. Um, but the thing with Telluride is they don't tell you until you get there. So that's like, I think Telluride starts on a Friday. Thursday or Friday. So like that night, the night before you find out. So we'll keep it in mind. Uh, of that list as we wrap, I guess here. So say where you can be followed. And of that list, tell me the two things that you most are interested in hearing about and or seeing. Um, for what's worth, White Noise is going to Venice before NYFF. That's why it's not at um toronto whether it's at telluride or not i do not know because i forget if that's the third thing that i thought was going there sure all right well you can find me on both twitter and letterboxd at miles on film that's m-y-l-e-s on film please check out my short films american exorcist and once upon a dracula they are both on youtube under aftershock pictures and chase capo respectively check out my writing on awards radar and looper and uh, the ones I'm looking forward to, I'm really looking forward to The Whale. I want to hear more about that. Um, God, Brendan Fraser, Best Actor campaign. Love to see it. Would love to see it. Um, and I want to know about The Woman King. I, I Based on the recent trailer that came out, that one looks pretty epic. All right. <clears throat> you can follow me at Joey Magazine, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, all that stuff. Awards Radar is on several of those things. Give, uh, give Steve a follow at Film Snork. Um, his thing, the verse has an Instagram now. So, uh, give that a, give that a look also, um, follow everyone. <clears throat> the whale is also high up on my list. It might be my most anticipated film of the year left. Um, other than that, I think the Fablemans. Right on. Yeah. I'm a little surprised. She said not in the TIFF lineup. So I, th- I assume it's either, <clears throat> it's probably gonna go to tell your ride if I had to guess, or it's skipping festivals entirely. And that's a, 
very interesting choice for a movie with clearly awards aspirations. Yeah, absolutely. No, I know. Um, I, we, I would have expected to see it in TIFF as well. That seems like a perfect fit. Yeah, yeah. we didn't talk about um, some of the things that apparently aren't coming out, but that's the thing with some of these lists that it confirms sort of some of the unconfirmed news. I know the the big thing was that um, Killers of the Flower Moon is probably not coming out. I think that might have been last week when we were right as we recorded, right? Right. We were kind of on the fence about Mm -hmm. it because we'd heard from some places, but it didn't seem super official yet. Yeah, I I think Apple just doesn't feel the need to say for sure yet. Like, who cares? Um, Because if you look, some of the articles are, oh, they should uh, because that was right around the Will Smith apology tour suddenly began again. Yeah. And uh, emancipation emancipation may come out this year after all. Well, that was the thing. The I don't I, I assume that Apple has made no decisions about either, but. As soon as the, oh, I mean, this was the same writer basically said, oh, Killers of the Flower Moon is not going to come out this year. That means they should release Emancipation. Um, So maybe it's all just, you know, inside baseball. It's a plan by by Apple to sort of see how, you know, till the the soil and chum the waters and see how people respond. But it also could be, you know, we're just not ready. We don't know. But you can see that... um, Disappointment Boulevard is not anywhere. Um, so you would assume A24 is probably holding that one. Also, I think the rumor was that was like three hours long. So it's possible they're just like, we, we can't release that movie with, at three hours. Let's work on that. Yeah. Um, Next Goal Wins isn't anywhere. Which is funny because that one has had equal amounts of people, including Taika Waititi himself, saying, oh, it's coming this year. It's coming next year. I don't think they know what's going on with that movie. Um, and... Uh, Yorgos Lanthimos' Poor Things, which we we assumed was going to be ready in time, I guess maybe isn't. It's also possible sometimes a studio just decides, you know, let's just go to Cannes. That kind of thing. Right. So I wouldn't expect to see any of those films, but I don't know that they're guaranteed not to happen. I pulled most of them off of my uh, predictions list. I think I might still have Disappointment Boulevard. I'm just going to probably pull it next week or whenever i update again just because there isn't a ton of new things to, to, to add to it yet that's the thing these these festivals will tell us that you know like i could i could replace disappointment boulevard with devotion but devotion at like 40 or something seems silly i i, I almost feel like wait until you know and either it's oh that movie's in the top 20 and has a chance or yeah it's good but that's not their thing right so i'm, I'm still a little hesitant to make any any big moves but they will come sooner rather than later. Yeah, so very excited to see exactly. what comes next. Indeed, that's where we stand now. So we're going to wrap now. It's been almost two hours. You guys probably going to get about an hour 45, probably once uh, it's edited down. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll be talking more about Bullet Train. We'll be talking about whatever new fresh hell of uh, the year has, has presented itself. And we'll be ever closer to episode 100. So this is 98, I believe. Yep, yep. Yep. So we're probably going to have 99 regular. And I think the plan is, as I, as I said, this is subject to change, but there'll be a 99.5 to cover like that week's news and like what we saw and, and film hog face-offs and all that. And then episode 100 will be kind of like a special episode. So I don't know if that'll be a double week or something like that. And we'll, we're working on getting some people involved. So we'll see who's available. It's a you know, some people have families. It's the end of the summer. People like to get a last minute vacation in before the fall. It'll also be right before uh, the film festival. So, you know, we'll see what we can do. 
in the meantime, stay safe. If you haven't gotten COVID yet, continue not to get COVID. Um, and uh, we will see you at the movies. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and to visit awardsradar.com for the best in awards and entertainment content. <laughs>